Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Hi, writers. Welcome to episode number 67 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron, and I am so glad you're here. Today, I am talking to Lorena Hughes, who is a person you'll hear that I met at the Writer's Digest conference a couple weeks ago. And she was just one of those people that um, me and my friend Sophie just glommed onto. Uh, Sophie Littlefield has better instincts than I do, but mine are pretty darn good about the people that we want to hang out with. And uh, in fact, when Sophie and I met more than probably about 10 years ago now, we met at an RWA meeting and I sat next to her and she put her hand on my arm after chatting for a few minutes. And I remember she said, you're mine now. And I loved that feeling of being claimed. And Sophie's very good at that. And she did that with Lorena and I did too. Um, she's ours now. She's she's our people. You're going to really love listening to her talk. She talks about trusting your gut in your writing. Um, she's great. So that's coming up. You have that to look forward to. And in a little update, um, I had a weekend of being a sponge. And I have to say that I think I need more of that. Uh, I I had plans for the weekend that I was going to do some extra writing. I usually try to take the weekends off, but I'm pretty far behind on a couple things right now, including NaNoWriMo, including the thriller, including this Christmas book that I'm working on. I'm behind in everything. Um, and sometimes, I don't know if you have this, but when I fall very behind in things, I go to ground um, which is really not the best way to handle things because when you're very behind, you should be working hard. Instead, sometimes I'll get in bed and I'll pull the covers over my head. Um, and it works for me. Uh, but this weekend, I just spent, I just gave myself permission. I gave myself permission to watch TV as much as I wanted, um, which I don't normally do. I just feel like I never have time to watch television. I did a lot of knitting. I did a lot of reading, just lying around, soaking in words, rolling around in books. Um, that was pretty great. And it felt so good in my brain to be consuming media. Um, really good, crafted, well thought out media. I mean, TV these days is incredible in terms of storytelling, um, as are the awesome books that I'm reading. So that was really nice. Um, uh, and I had this thought, I just, I want a week of that. Isn't that so wonderful? I mean, someday I'm going to give myself a week of a staycation with nothing to do, but lying around reading and watching TV and kind of doing writer's date um, authors, oh, what do they call that? Artist dates. Remember from Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way, she would talk about having an artist date once a week where you take yourself somewhere that helps you fill the well um, and bring art back into yourself so that you're not always producing, but you're also consuming. So I need to do more of that. And I'm very glad that I realized that. And I think I just decided that my next Patreon essay is going to be about filling the well. So that's exciting. Um, uh, other updates. Um, I can't remember if I told you about the Christmas book that Sophie Littlefield and Juliet Blackwell and I are writing. 
it's a it's just a collection of three short stories interlinked in my world of Darling Bay uh, set at Christmas. Um, we've already written them and I have the extreme pleasure of being the editor because it's my world. And while they were writing their um, their short stories, you know, they put in a lot of XYZs where I will go ahead and put in the characters' names from people, townsfolk in the town, and put in the business names and that kind of thing. And I just have to say what a delight it is to be reading and editing my friend's work. I forget how good it is until I'm just skimming through their work and filling in blanks and just enjoying what they're doing. So hopefully that'll be out next week because uh, the holidays are coming. I hate to break it to you. It's horrifying, isn't it? It's completely horrifying. Um already the Thanksgiving and Christmas stress is building and we can all feel it. Um, I love the holidays, but I love to hate the holidays too. So join me in that, won't you? Uh, so that has been fun. I'm working on that. Um, and I, but I did have this crisis of time management that came to a head yesterday where I was feeling emotional and tired and overwhelmed. And, um, Wednesdays are my incredibly long day with, um, both classes and, I get home at 10.30 and after like a 14-hour day and I always have a crisis afterward. <laughs> you know, I also have a glass of wine sometimes. And, um, but my crisis of time, I had this, I had this moment of clarity when I was meditating and thinking about things because that's when I think about things. You're not supposed to think about things so much in meditation, but thoughts pop into my mind. They bubble up and of course that happens. And I realized something big that I always get through it. And I would like to point this out because it's probably true of you. If you feel that time crunch, you're never going to make it by the deadline. You're, this is impossible. Uh, you can't do it. We always do it. We always make it through it, even if we're late or whatever it is that we're trying to do. Um, we've all felt this kind of pressure before. We've felt it many, many, many times in our lives and we just get through it. I am here recording this on a Thursday in November and uh, the entire 45 years of my life up until this point, I have gotten through all of that stress always. There's a 100% chance that I will, unless I die, because that's coming for all of us, but um, it, I will get through this and it's not a big deal. And I just kind of need to enjoy this fantastic ride. So, um, that was a large existential thought to have, and it's one that I really liked having. So that was enjoyable. Um, I would like to give a brief plug to my boy, Jay Thorne. Um, he is leading with Zach Bohannon. Uh, he's leading this awesome thing called Authors on a Train. Um, if you go to authorsonatrain.com, they actually take a group. I can't remember how many people it is, maybe eight people or six people. Um, on a train, you, you co-write a book together. You get on the train in Chicago, you get off in New Orleans. What could be better than that? While you do this overnight train, you're plotting and writing with um, your peers uh, who are vetted. There, I think there's an application process of some part, but but do it anyway. If you are interested in that at all, I think their next trip is going in June. And um, Jay and Zach are awesome. And I just love Jay. He is my co-host on my other podcast, which I wanted to plug real quick. If you're not listening to the pedal to the metal, um, maybe you should. We have a great time and we talk about actually doing this dream job as our day job, being full-time writers, how we got there, what we did. Um, basically, we started the podcast 
I I had already gone full-time writing and Jay was getting ready to make the leap. So um, we started then uh, and it's a short podcast format just like this one. We have a lot of fun and it's very different from my own podcast where I just yammer at you. We have great chemistry. We really love talking to each other about this business and I love that guy. So give that a shot if you're not listening to that. The petal to the metal. He's the metal. I'm the pedal, obviously. Um, and I just want to thank new Patreon su- uh, supporters real quick. I've got Sandy Davis. Thank you. Michelle Spiva, who was on the podcast a couple of times ago on this podcast. And if you haven't heard Michelle Spiva yet, go listen to it. She is so incredibly inspiring. Super classy of her to donate to the Patreon, too. She has a new Patreon. Uh, Deanna Ireland Gill. Thank you so much, Deanna. And Esther Gully, who is a student in one of my classes, the the novel class at Berkeley. So that's also very classy of all of you. Thank you. Um, So just want to say again, thank you to all patrons with your patronage. You get the satisfaction that you are truly a patron of the arts in the old fashioned way. And that is so awesome. And I thank you mightily and heartily. If you'd like to support, you can go to patreon.com slash Rachel. And now I will let you get into the interview with Lorena. I know that you will enjoy it. Um, and I wish you very, very happy writing. Get some words down on the page. Um, I feel like I'm pushing a lot of things in this episode. But if you are not a member of the Onward Writers Facebook group that I have, please come join it. It's so fun. I think you can just search for Onward Writers on Facebook. And um, there's a bunch of people in there. We talk about writing all the time. It's super fun to get to know the people who are listening to this podcast. And um, I love it. So enjoy. I'm going to slow myself down. I've had a lot of caffeine. And uh, get on with it, writers. You're my favorites. Okay, talk to you soon. Bye. Hey, you're a writer. Did you know that I send out a free weekly email of writing encouragement? Go sign up for it at rachelherron.com slash write. And you'll also get my Stop Stalling and Write PDF with helpful tips you can use today to get some of your own writing done. Okay, now on to the interview. All right, well, I could not be more pleased to welcome my friend today, Lorena Hughes. Hi, Lorena. Hi. Hi. So glad to see you. Oh my gosh, of course. So everyone listening, I met Lorena at the um, recent Writer's Digest conference uh, conference in LA and uh, we just adopted her. Me and my friend Sophie Littlefield just, you know, just like glommed onto her and we said, you're ours. And I've already started your book, Lorena, and I hadn't told you that, but I'm just (laughs) loving it. The language is so gorgeous. So let me give you a little introduction. Um, Lorena Hughes was born and raised in Ecuador until moving to the US at 18. She has a degree in fine arts and mass communication and journalism from the University of New Mexico. Her previous work has won first place at the 2011 Southwest Writers International Contest in the historical fiction category, earned an honorable mention at the 2012 Soul Making Keats Literary Competition, and placed quarterfinalist in the 2014 Amazon Breakout Novel Award. I didn't know that. That's really cool. Um, The Sisters of Alameda Street is her first novel, and you guys, it's so beautiful. You should see this cover. I love the title. I love the writing. It's just awesome. So um, such a joy to have you. Thank you. Of course. So this show is about your writing process, about our writing processes. So and I would love to ask you basically, what is your writing process? How do you get the words done? Well, um, I try to write I wouldn't say every day because I I don't. <laughs> but uh, usually when my kids are at school, then that's my time to write. 
from around 11 or so to two or I don't write a whole lot every day but I because I have to do a lot of research writing historical so a lot of time I have to be doing that so that's kind of how it is though when they were babies I would do it during their naps so sometimes I was a little late at picking them up (laughs) but um that's kind of how I did it like and when where I get do you time. usually write? Do you are you at home or are you kind of a coffee shop person or? I do both. Um, so I have at my study at my in my in my house most of the time, but like once a week or so, I'll go to a local Starbucks or a library, and I like to write there too. Like because sometimes it feels really lonely, <laughs> yeah. so I like to go out and see other people. You know what's funny is I go to the library when I feel lonely, but then I sequester myself at a carol so I can see nobody, but I just know there's, I know there's people in the building with me. You, you know? can hear them. Exactly. <laughs> Except that I put in my earphones and I drown them out. So I don't know why I go out. <laughs> there's no Change dishes. Scenery. Exactly. <laughs> what is your biggest challenge when it comes to writing? My biggest challenge is when I get interrupted for some reason from my writing and I mean a few days because I'm trying to do promotion stuff or writing articles or whatever. Then I seem to lose my momentum and it's really hard to go back. So like how I do really, you get back into it? I kind of like force myself to sit there and do it. And I have to start reading a little bit from what I've been writing so that I can get back into the, oh, yeah, 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 this is good and get excited about it. But then if I do a little bit every day, then then I, I keep that momentum going. Yes. But that's the, my biggest challenge. And it happens a lot. Like when I travel or something, I get distant from my text and then I, I kind of don't want to go back. <laughs> well, and if you're like me, then that is a self-fulfilling prophecy that I just keep putting it off. And then the dread gets more and more and more that I don't want to go back. So then the time away from it can be longer. I can absolutely relate to that. What is your biggest joy in writing? Um, I love it when I am immersed in a scene and I just love how, love how it's flowing and it feels like even if I'm, I haven't planned something, I love to discover something new in that scene, like when it feels really vivid. You know that feeling, yes, right? Yes. I, That's my biggest joy. How often does that happen? That's just a curiosity on my part. Um, once in a while, I mean, it, I wouldn't say it happens every day or all the time, but like, you know, oddly, sometimes it happens when I'm not sure how a scene is going to go. Mm. So I'll just sit there and all of a sudden it starts flowing. When I have a very clear map, it doesn't, I don't know, it's like the characters take over. <laughs> Ooh, I love that feeling. But then the thing I always want to do is share it with somebody and nobody can get it. Like nobody can get it. You can't like go, you can't turn to somebody and say, "She's got an orange sweater, and that's what she needed, and I didn't know it." You know? I think you're crazy yeah. when you say that. Exactly. I think I use Twitter for that a little bit. I actually told that that story at my book launch and about how the characters come to life, and everybody looked at me a little weird, like, "Oh, okay," but the writers were like nodding, like I totally get it. Do they ever take you a direction that you wish they wouldn't go? Um, you know, not really like that they, that I wish that they would go. That hasn't happened to me, but it's happened that something that surprises me that goes against what my, origi- my original plan was. And I have left that because I, I, I felt like strongly about it after it happened. I was like, yeah, I was trying to force my character to do something that wasn't meant to be, you know? Yeah. <laughs> 
So yeah. when this other thing happened, I was like, yeah, of course, that's the, the solution. But I didn't even plan it, you know. I've heard a lot of people say, and I really agree with it, that when you're fighting with a scene, like when you just can't finish a scene, it's because you're trying to push it in the wrong direction and your subconscious knows that. So it's putting yeah. on the brakes. Have you found that? And yes, of course, because I think of plot first. And that's how I've always written. Oh, what wouldn't it be exciting if this happened or that happened? And then I try to sometimes I at first, especially at the beginning, I try to force my characters to follow the plot, and, I, and they're like, "No, I don't want to." And I was like, "You have to. That's what needs to happen." So <laughs> I am in charge. I am the writer. <laughs> no, but you know what? They were right. Like in some cases, that was oh, that was a silly idea, and then I realized later on that it was better. You know what? When I think about what a real person would do rather than this would be really cool if it would happen and I start thinking well what would I do really yeah and then I and I get into that and I start writing how a real person would react to something then it flows so much better I think that's huge and I think that's something that I had a really hard time learning for a long time I always had editors that would mark like would this really happen and I remember I would get irritated I'd be like well no but it's my book. And then as soon as I started writing characters who would actually act the way a human being would, I think it just resonates with the with the readers more. But I had I had to learn that the hard way. You know, I do have a critique partner that is very focused on character development. And she would tell me, you know, I wouldn't do the first thing I would do would be A, B, and C rather than doing that. And it really makes me think. So she's a really good person to have read my stuff. That's really helpful. Wow. Yes. Okay, what is the absolute best or worst writing advice you've ever been given? Okay, so the best advice would probably be, I have, um, when I first started, I would listen to everything everybody said. So, and I passed it on to like 100 people read the book and they were like, I don't like this. And then I would change it and someone else would be like, no, I don't like that change. And, I, and I'd be like, well, decide, you know, like, yeah. the best advice was trust yourself. So, like, you have to write to please yourself, not others, because you will never please everybody. There, Because there's so many different tastes. So there will be people that like this or that or whatever. So it really, the only measure is to determine what you like, because that's your only truth, right? Like, the only way that you can really determine if something is going to work is by trusting yourself. Yeah. Of course, you have to listen to others, but... The last decision has to be yours. And, and to reach that decision, I kind of have to take some time mm. to, to decide. Yeah. That's really rich and true. I just heard a phrase the other day on a podcast um, that they said, writing by committee never works. Like, oh, yeah. Or too many cooks in the kitchen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I'm super influenceable. And if somebody tells me something, a lot of times I'll just agree. I'll just say, oh, you, you're right. And I'll fix everything to that. And yeah, that's I totally did that at the beginning. And I think that in many ways it worked because it actually it was really good advice. But then I reached a point where I was having I had two critique groups at the same time mm -hmm. and they were giving me opposite advice. One was saying, you should really do this. And the other one was like, you should. And I was like, which one, which one? So I really had to sit, step back and think, well, what do I think? So. That's a really good lesson to learn. Yeah. Can yeah. you share a quick craft tip with us of any sort? Um, oh, okay. This is a good one. Um, so being a historical fiction writer, you tend to go a lot into the internet and research historical periods and things like that. I would advise 
you to go outside of your computer once in a while and don't be afraid to talk to strangers about things that they know before you, more than you. And I have a good, a good example. I would love to hear it. So I was getting ready to, I was on my last of my edits for my book. And as you know, my book has to do with tango dancing. Mm -hmm. And there is only so much you can read about tango dancing, right? Like the names of the steps and you really try to figure it out. You look at YouTube and all this stuff. Uh, I did end up taking a tango class. And, and through that class, I met this tango dancer. And so I was really embarrassed because I had, she told me about the tango club of my city. And so I started going, but I was really embarrassed to ask her to read my work. Mm. And I was like, well, maybe I should, because the only people who have read my work are writers and editors, but nobody that it knows the dance itself. And so I asked her, would you read some of my tango scenes? And she's like, sure. And I'm so glad that she did because she found all these mistakes. She's like, there's no way that someone would fall with this stuff. You know, that's not even, that means standing up, you know, like, so it was like, <laughs> so that would be, I guess, my advice today. And there would be no way that you could learn that from watching no. YouTube videos. None at all. No. No. Now, and, and, and nobody caught on that because everybody was, you know, everybody was a writer. So it sounded yeah. right. You know, it sounded good. The editor, okay. Yeah. Punctuation is fine. But it was something that someone had to know to realize it was wrong. Yeah. And I, I know this just from chatting to you, but, um, you also had tango dancers at your book launch, right? I did. It was so much fun. And actually those were my instructors in oh. my class. Oh, cool. That's awesome. I, yeah. saw, I saw a little video of those. Um, yeah. <laughs> when you have self-doubt or those really dark days, how do you deal with that? Honestly, I step aside. Mm -hmm. Like I turn off the computer because I have noticed that depending on your mood, <laughs> you you can like or dislike something in your own writing. And you'd be yeah. like, like the same piece, you'd be like, this is awesome and then the next day you'll be like this is horrible so i turn the computer off and i'll do something else i'll watch a movie i'll go to my salsa classes or i'll you know i'll just do something that it keeps me takes me away from the manuscript because i'm afraid i'm gonna mess it up that that is that's that's advanced i think because there's a there's a whole like self-flagellation thing that i get into like i start beating myself up for walking away from the computer so how do you give yourself that kind of forgiveness to just let it go for the day? Because because I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up. <laughs> so I tell myself, before I mess it up, I'm just going to walk away and come back tomorrow and see if I see it under a different light. It's really good. That's, I'm never... Yeah, because then I start deleting. I start, oh, I hate this, or rewriting. Or... So I'm like, no, no, no. I, I'm just messing it all up. I'm not in the right frame of mind right now. That is really healthy. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to try to embrace that. Um, on days where you couldn't be a writer, what profession of all the professions in the world, just for fun, what would you want to be? I would love to be like a movie director or really? like a soap opera director <laughs> or something like that. What like attracts you to... about that? Well, actually, that's how this novel started. It was meant to be a Spanish soap opera. So I really love the idea of being on, you know, behind this camera and seeing, you know, telling people where to stand and like seeing my story come to life, you know, in front of me. So you did, you wrote this like telenovela, but put it into novel form. form? <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. Wow. If somebody um, asked you to adapt it as a screenplay, would you do that? Yeah, I'd love to. Okay. <laughs> Let's cross our fingers because that, that would be a, a really cool way to get there. <laughs>
Um, what is the best book you've read recently and why did you love it? Um, okay. So I loved the Elena Ferrante novels, the four. I haven't read them. My brilliant friend. Yeah. What did, what did you love about them? I got really immersed in the lives of these people. It's four books and they, um, they're set in 1950s Italy and Napoli in a very small neighborhood. And it's the, the relationship with this, this, between these two friends who are poor. And it starts as they're little girls. And they, they have this competition slash love relationship. And, I, and every book starts with some like a question of like they bring it to the present and something weird that happened. You're like trying to figure out throughout the book, well, how do they get there? So there's, there's like all these mystery things happening in there, but I, it's not everybody likes this book because some of the characters are very unlikable. Plus, they, it's a huge cast, but that's how I like them. You know, I like them all complicated, and so I think that one. I ha- I have to check them out. They're they're absolutely on my list, and in my head they're challenging. So I'm always pushing them like to the side in the list and pulling something less challenging because I'm lazy, but, um, I need to, I need to get in there. So, you know how the, the best way to get into them is to listen to the audiobook version really? because then you can listen to them while you're driving and the reader is so good. Oh, good. she's awesome. I've actually, so been, that's how I met them really quickly. I've been thinking about getting more, trying to get more into audiobooks. So maybe I'll start there because I really love the idea of audiobooks, but I just, I'm, I'm always so addicted to podcasts. That's always what's on in my car. Yeah, I, I do both, you know, yeah. sometimes while driving either an audiobook or a podcast. I yeah. love both things. Yeah, me too. Um, and what would you like to tell us about right now? Can you tell us a little bit about your book and what it's about, um, The Sisters of Alameda Street? Uh, sure. Yeah. So this is the story of a young woman who assumes another identity to find her mother. And the mother could be one of four sisters. So it's kind of like a family mystery. Uh, it's set in 1962 in Ecuador, where I'm from. So it's in a small South American town, and it kind of it has two timelines. One is the present, which is 1962, where my protagonist is trying to find out who her mom is. She finds all these clues and stuff. And then you would go back to like between 1936 and 1941 to the lives of each sister, and all of them have connections with the dad. So it could be any of them. And it's complex and rich and and delicious so highly recommended where can listeners find you online okay so my website is www.lorena-hughes.com on facebook it's lorena author lorena hughes author and on twitter is sister lorena Oh, I like that (laughs) are we following each other on twitter i think i have to remember that right now am i following you though I yes. Seen, oh shoot! I haven't seen your tweets, but I've been bad at Twitter, so I'm gonna get I'm gonna okay. get better. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Excellent. Well, it's been such a treat to talk to you, and just like a so gift to myself me. because I have missed you in the last two weeks, and um, <laughs> we've got to bring you out here or get ourselves out to where you are so that we can hang out somewhere. But, oh yeah, I was kind of depressed when the conference was over. I was like, oh no, because I, have to, I, have to <laughs> I had such it's, a good time. It's it's I, one of the best conferences I've ever been. To you. I was so impressed. Yeah, it was awesome. I loved it. Yeah. Thank you, Writer's Digest. And thank you, Lorena, for being here. It's just so good to see you. Thank you. Thank okay. you. We'll talk soon. Bye bye. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? 
You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.